Ladies and gentlemen, good day and welcome to Pangea Talks Lead with Purpose series, where we talk to world changers making a positive impact in their local communities and beyond. Joining us today is Mr. Manuel Francois Sincio. Manuel is an executive coach for women who are experiencing tension between work and family life, seeking to discover their power to make choices that are aligned with their values by increasing their mental fitness. Manuel was named one of the top coaches in Montreal by Influence The Just. His years as a consultant have given him vast experience in the public and private sectors, working with companies like IBM, Alethea, and Telus Health, among others. Manuel is a global citizen, having lived in Martinique in the Caribbean and even in France and now resides in Montreal, Canada. Manuel, welcome to Benjamin Talks lead with purpose series good morning thank you so very much Declan for uh, inviting me uh, I'm very excited uh, to be here this morning with you yeah it's, it's me and uh, the listeners I think we're going to be excited to share time with you because of how much you've seen in your life travels and some of this great work you're doing with positive intelligence which we'll get into later on in the conversation around mental fitness everyone who is aware and on the leading edge of uh, self-care has heard this term mental fitness and uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it and how our audience and um, even uh, clients of the Pangea uh, family can benefit from mental fitness and I know you've done some work with some of our clients uh, with the PQ or mental fitness or positive intelligence program. I'd like to open first with um, getting to know you and I'd like our audience to get to know who you are as a person first. And I'd like uh, I'd like some revelatory things to be shared on this conversation. So I'm going to jump right in <laughs> with uh, with a um, with a direct question. Um, but I think you have the the responsiveness to effectively handle it and share some insight. I'd like you to tell us, Manuel, about a defining moment in your life that led you to become an executive coach for women executives? Good question. <laughs> it's, um, it, becoming a coach, um, it's, it's always been my passion to be able to help and from a very young age. Um, and I was able to refine that ultimately to, to become a certified um, coach. But the specific uh, audience of um, uh, being able to assist and support uh, women and more more mothers even than just women. Uh, it came from my my mom. <laughs> uh, my mom. Uh, I, I grew up in the in the Caribbean, as you mentioned, in, in Martinique, and uh, uh, my mother was um, the first uh, female uh, of color uh, to reach a, a high ranking level officer level in the French administration in Martinique. And uh, I'm also uh, number three of a family of five. So as you can imagine, then um, she was able to uh, raise five children and at the same time um, execute really on a, on a very successful career um, in the French administration uh, in an environment that's uh, not really uh, supportive of this in many ways. So uh, I've been able to to witness uh, the 
I would say the the struggle that she had between uh, between the, the choices that she had to make um, between the, the family expectations and uh, raising the, the kids and also the, the the high demands of of an environment that's difficult on its own. But when you add the uh, female factor to it, and then when you uh, double that, uh, you top that up with uh, the, the the minority part of it then it becomes a lot more difficult and and she's been able to navigate that very successfully um i mean obviously with ups and downs and i've been uh, on that side to to experience that journey and that's where i was um maybe compelled to to provide some help and support to 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 women in this situation and and also um with the 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 guidance of my father. Uh, my father was a physician. Um, he passed uh, 20 years ago, but um, as I was growing up, I saw him really demonstrate really the support and the role that men, husbands could have in supporting um, the aspirations, whether it's family and professional, personal and professional aspirations of their wives. And that's those the, the combination of those two influences really um, pushed me to uh, to provide support to to mothers who who wants to be able to um, to develop their professional career to really uh, ev uh, evolve uh, in a male dominated male dominated environment uh, while taking care of their families and and, and uh, meeting those personal goals as well. You know, you've expressed um, a lot in that uh, in that response, and while you're sharing it, I could actually see myself placing myself in your your life scenario. You, you said the term uh, your mom raised a family of five, but not only raised them. I mean, there's some very successful people in your family. I mean, I think your your brother, correct me, your brother was at an Ivy League school, if uh, if I'm not mistaken. And there were some other great success stories uh, coming out of your family. So not only did your mother raise them while uh, contributing to this um, successful career, prominent position for her career in a position that was not necessarily um, accepting or encouraging of uh, differences in, in, uh, in, in people who, who may not have fit the the homogenous appearance of uh, the environment at that time. Uh, she was able to create uh, relationships with her children that inspire them to go on to significant greatness. And I find that's, um, that's a brilliant story to learn from and share. And I can understand how that inspires you um, to want to work with women executives and specifically mothers because uh, of the, the positive impact that, not comes, that comes out not only from their careers, but it's in the ripple effect around them and how many lives they influence. So by working with women executives who are mothers, you're not only changing their lives, but their entire worlds and their children's lives and their families' lives. So that to me is an impressive aspect of um, what it is you do and the work you've set upon to, uh, to contribute uh, to. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, you're a, a coach, uh, not just a coach, but you're a certified coach with the... Um, the International Coaching Federation. I know you have that designation. So, so some people, I know they, um, you know, they call themselves coaches, uh, but they don't necessarily have the accreditation. 
Uh, and I think for uh, some folks of a, of, at a specific uh, level of uh, evaluation care about uh, accreditation and professionalism, and I'm glad to see that you've done that. You also have a number of other accreditations. For example, you are a certified uh, positive intelligence coach or a coach that is uh, certified for uh, a mental fitness coach is another term I've heard you use. Um, I wanted to, to learn from you about three things that you've observed or reflected on, or even three things that you've learned from coaching women executives that created wow moments for you? Um, well, before I just answer that, I just wanted to really um, uh, come back to what you just said and the, the impact and really um, highlighting that that's that's true and that's what really matters it's really the impact that we have at the end of the day and it, it's it, it transitions into your question regarding um regarding what i've learned coaching women is the the importance of the impact right and um and the, the fact that they want to they want their children to be proud of them and they have extremely high values and they want to be able to transmit them. So that's, um, that's not um, unique to executive women, um, but this is definitely uh, something that, uh, that makes a connection between what you just said and, and your question. And, but in terms of what I specifically learn coaching women, um, my understanding and awareness of what we can call um, institutionalized discrimination has been really raised significantly as I was working with women because um, when, to take an example, when you have a high potential male executive, um, you would consider giving him a sabbatical so that he could go and be refreshed and, um, and come back uh, with new vision, new ideas, new skills, um, coming back as a version 2.0 um, but when a female executive is talking about maternity leave, whoa, then that's not positive at all. It's seen as a, as a negative thing uh, when in reality that women coming back being a, a new mother or a, a, new, a second times new mother or third, uh, comes back with even more skills, more um, experience, more vision, more abilities to lead the team than before. And that, that needs to change because it's actually a great opportunity. It's an asset. It's, it's even more valuable than a sabbatical. But that's not the way it's seen, right? And it's actually uh, used to penalize um that that female executive so so the working with with women in that environment really um, highlighted and this is just one example out of several um of how um this the, the system is built and um on the, the poor foundations and that's not really um making the most of what women could bring becoming mothers to the the work environment and 
The second aspect, which is connected to the first one, um, is has to do with the, the, the servant leadership um, aspect of uh, of uh, leadership. Now, it's it's kind of, kind of a buzzword, right? We we talk more about servant leadership, and we encourage the men to to emulate this and and executives in general. But I realize that it comes naturally for women, and Part of it actually is because of the way they've been raised, which from one point of view could be seen as something that's negative, right? It's okay, we give the the, 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 the mother the role of to, to be in charge of domestic support and all those domestic um, tasks. And we consider it's theirs uh, mainly and that they are there to serve their husband or their, their um, children. And so obviously it's something that that we want to change. However, that that becomes an opportunity because that developed in women this ability to transfer those skills um, in terms of servant leadership to their working environment. And that makes them powerful leaders. And they want to be able, basically as a coach there, I help them see this as an opportunity, see this as an asset, see it as a good thing as opposed to, okay, complaining about the, the, that um, kind of putting them in a box. Um, and, and I'm all in favor of changing that um, by having uh, husbands um, support more and take, take ownership for those tasks and not say, okay, I'm going to help you with that task, but I'm going to, uh, let me just do that task with you, right? So, um, this is uh, this is something that uh, I, I want to help change. But at the same time, since this is a situation that we have today, then they can definitely see the, oppor- the opportunity in this. And, and if I was to, to add a, a, a last insight there in, in, in me working with those female executive uh, mothers is the, um, the fact that they are the underdogs. We need to go, and there's something visceral about having and seeing uh, the underdog win, right? And it's it's just to be able to say, okay, I'm not I'm not in charge of the cause that that I've been dealt, right? I, I didn't choose to to be born a female. I didn't choose to be born um, of a certain minority group um, or to grow up in an abusive environment. But this is what I have, and. I can use that, and I can turn that into uh, into gifts, uh, gifts so that I could just go and and, and achieve and 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 uh, exceed the expectations, and just to be able to see that happen is is really an inspiration. And um, my my wife, for example, I mean, she's she's um, I won't tell you her age, but uh, uh, we've been married twenty seven years. And she's joining the Canadian forces right now. So this is the type of, of uh, achievements of, okay, this is more the underdog. I mean, you don't do that at that age. You're going to have to compete and, and deal with um, 20 year old uh, male and female uh, working in that environment physically and, and, and all that. And, and it's, it, 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 those type of stories are really inspiring to me and, and, and I, I get to experience them with um, all the, the, the mothers executive that I, that I coach as I see them um, really achieve their goals. 
What a, a deep, rich uh, perspective you've shared. Uh, so many things for me to unpack with you. And uh, uh, there's uh, a number of ways I'm going to tackle the response, but then we'll get back to that question I, I posed at the top. So in response to your contribution, or at least for me to, to share a perspective on your contribution, I wanted to tackle that term servant leader. And then I also wanted to tackle with you uh, that concept of, of uh, you know, we didn't have a choice of, of being born um, in you know, different uh, versions of, of, of what we could be interpreted as um, uh, positions of disadvantage, but not disadvantage, but disadvantages of the current system or the current construct. Uh, and, and I think it's important for our, our audience to, to, to explore the the new that specific nuance it's not a disadvantage period and the sentence but in the context of the system uh and what i mean by that is uh one can be born into um uh, into a society that excels at um let's say uh soccer and everyone in your town is exceptional at soccer uh but uh, you have a, an ability, a natural ability to, um, to play basketball, for example. And it doesn't mean that your ability is, uh, or how you were born, so to speak, is a disadvantage, but in the, co- the, construct, the construct of the system or the environment that you're in, that's where it may appear to be so. And I want to, I will talk about that a moment in a moment, but there's a lot of fascinating things to explore there in my life experience. But back to the term servant leader, I know you're aware that I'm connected with Trinity Western University's Masters in Leadership program, and servant leadership is a core component of the work that we do there uh, with the students that come out of. Uh, the MA lead program at Trinity Western University. And for the folks that are listening and hearing that term, uh, either for the first time or have never heard it defined, I'll share a bit more about it. Um, uh, While servant leadership is a timeless concept, the phrase servant leadership was coined by a fellow by the name of Robert Greenleaf in an essay he first published in 1970. In that essay, Greenleaf said, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with a natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. The conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different from one who is leader first, perhaps because of the need to assuage an unusual power drive or to acquire material possessions. The leader first and the servant first are two extreme examples. Between them are the shadings and blends that are part of the infinite variety of human nature. The difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first leader to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. And the best test and most difficult to administer is do those serve grow as persons and my gosh who else better than mothers <laughs> to uh, to uh, yeah. exemplify and live that statement who do those serve grow as persons do they while being served become healthier wiser mm-hmm. freer more autonomous more likely themselves themselves 
to become servant leaders. And what is the effect on the least? Here, here's a, oh my gosh. What is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? The servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and the well-being of people and the communities in which they belong. While traditional leadership generally involves the accumulation and exercise of power by one at the quote-unquote top of the pyramid, but servant leadership is different. The servant leader shares power, puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. And there in that definition, Manuel, I see motherhood. And, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> you know, <Exactly. laughs> all through that conversation. And I don't ever want to discount the value of fatherhood. No. Um, but I want to now bridge that previous thought, that previous con- contribution I made to the concept of gender roles. And this has nothing to do with masculinity or femininity or the masculine principle and the feminine principle. And that's another conversation altogether. But I'd like to suggest that the roles that uh, each gender took on in in eras past were structured in a way that was befitting the time and befitting the time for survival, for the family to thrive, for whatever was necessary for us to get through those periods. We're at a time now where we're seeing an awareness and a shift and a desire for uh, equal acknowledgement and contribution. When I say equal, um, you know, you know the distinction between the definition of equal and uh, equality uh, and uh, equity. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very cautious with these types of conversations because I, 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 I'm fascinated by the nuances and how the, the general perception of gender roles has taken on a, a very charged or combustible meaning. Folks get very heated about it. Uh, but I think if we look at it through the lens of understanding, if we look at it through the lens of wisdom, we recognize that we're just entering a new phase of, um, of our growth and understanding of where we contribute. And that's due to, due to uh, an economic environment, a political environment, even in a, a military protected environment that afforded us the peace to allow our minds to have these thoughts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If we, were, if we were completely distracted by war and hunger and disruption in our daily lives, we would be focused on utility. Who in the mm-hmm. family can do what? I go back to the farming conversation where you had multiple kids to help out on the farm. No one would care about the other conversation. We just need to get this done to survive. But now we have the latitude, the freedom to think in those ways. And so this is a conversation I, I can you know, share multiple thoughts and perspectives on, but uh, I did want to bring the conversation back to the things you've learned because I want to, I value your time. And I think the audience would love to learn from you um, about some of those wow moments that you have learned from coaching women executives that made you stop and think and say, oh my gosh, or wow, or you know what? That was a surprise to me. Tell us about some of those wow moments that uh, you can recall and how that sh- uh, shifted you in your thinking and the way you see the world. Basically, those those moments are 
very frequent in in uh, in my interactions with uh, those um, female executives and, and mothers executive because because it's during those those uh, conversations and those moments of connections that they've been able to express their perceptions how their reality really and it comes really to to what I, I indicated in terms of the the, the the discrimination that that seems to be at every level in the organization when when uh, I was a consultant and then I, I worked in a lot of different uh, companies but I all my experience was from a, a male perspective right um, and being able to hear them really uh, articulate their perception and their feelings and and what they experienced that's what built really the, the my understanding and awareness of the, the the discrimination that they are going through and and also uh, similarly um, I've been able to witness in the examples that they were able to share that servant leadership that you uh, so um, that you described so well and and so that's it's it's more it's not necessarily a big wow moment it's just constantly reminding me because all the all, although we start with with um, individual awareness to your point regarding where the society is going there's also a, a, a general awareness that that has to be raised so that we could see what's happening and that everybody could see what's happening and then together we could start changing it right so so that's it, it, there's no specific moments it's more constantly reminding me of oh okay yes that's the reality and then and then one example after another coming to to highlight and and reinforce that perception and raise my my awareness about the, the reality of what's happening from a, from from that point of view indeed uh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to invite you to go a little bit deeper in that response and I know that uh, you're always exploring and evaluating different scenarios because uh you know I've known you for some time now and I uh, would consider you a close friend and I I see how you process information your mind is very strong in the analytical component but you are also intuitive highly intuitive as well so there's a balance in the way you see things you know as we talk about your your mom uh you mentioned her and how she her experience had a, an impact on you is and I'm going here I want to go back here just for the sake of the authenticity of the conversation and if you feel comfortable sharing I want to also create that safe space for you to share when you go back in your mind and you think about your experience with your mom as you look at her uh, through your mind's eye and the struggles that she was going through do you remember maybe as you were a young person maybe even a teenager or someone that's 12 12 10 12 somewhere in there thinking to yourself i don't like the way this feels or there's something that your mom was going through that that created a shift in you or created a part of um the way you saw the world where a sense of justice was inspired where you said you know what i'm never going to let this happen again to anybody else any other mom because of what what my mom has gone through i'd love to go there and find i like understanding and learning from those defining moments. So if you feel inspired to or you feel like you want to share, I'll create that opportunity here for us to share 
uh, and listen to any defining moments you could choose that you've come through in your relationship with your mom that made a real big difference in your psychology or the way you showed up in the world. I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um, again, it will come to, to, to a general feeling and not necessarily very detailed uh, example of um, the, her ability to, um, to take what the situation is at and not, not really lose, lose hope or lose um, her motivation just because it didn't go the way she wanted. Um, oftentimes she would just share more the frustration than, than, than the specifics of mm. situations where it, it is great to have been in this group, uh, to have been accepted, quote unquote, or admitted to that group. But the fact that you're still not treated equal when you make it even though it took more than for the others, more than the male counterparts to get there, even when you get there, you still, you still, um, uh, you as the messenger speaks louder than your message. And just because you are female, then it decreases the value of your message. And um, I was even if I if I can relate that to to a more recent uh, example that um, with the um, uh, female executive that I coach, where because it's in IT and IT is even more male dominated than other industries, um, she was sharing how how difficult it was to get the message across. And, and and because because just because she was female and 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 the we needed to change the way she communicates uh, in order to help her overcome that because as to give just a quick quick example there if you start to, uh, explaining something and you, you you it takes you three four five sentences before you get to your point then chances are in that environment, if you are female, you're gonna get interrupted and somebody is gonna claim that point that you were making, as opposed to, okay, my point is this, and now let me give you the supporting document, uh, information. So even if you, you get interrupted, you already made your point, so that point is yours. And those are the types of, of, of uh, thoughts that we want to, to use and those types of techniques that we can use to really um, adapt to that environment because it's not because you, you are in this, in this group where um, of, of high uh, C-suite executives where you, you're still the minority, right? It's just 20% if that um, of the, the C-suite executives are, are, are women. But um, in order for you to be heard, that it takes more than that, more than making it to that group. So I don't know if that um, really uh, answers your question fully, but um, that's what comes to mind. 
I, I appreciate the um, the uh, story. I appreciate the the analogy. I wanted to share the opportunity for us to explore, or at least create the opportunity for us to explore, um, and really reflect on what you just said. And so, I've got. I can see things from multiple perspectives and I have trained myself to look at it, to look at life through different lenses so that I can uh, have a, a more efficient, but wholesome, holistic decision-making process in my mind. And so as you described that scenario, you talked about, you know, a female executive in a C-suite environment and the way she's communicating her point, um, may cause her to A, be interrupted, B, lose the point because someone else, uh, and I'll use this term for the sake of the context, dominates the conversation with her point. Um, but I would like to table a perspective that that is not a gender thing. That is not a gender concern. My humble perspective is that is a communication distinction. Example, if we attended a meeting, you and I, and everyone there only spoke French, but my ability in language is to speak English, try as I may, I may not be received or my message may not be received because my language is different than the receiving audience. That's one thing. And the reason I would say that that's a thought to consider is that I, I support a number of uh, female executives in my, in my world. Um, helping them grow, helping them communicate. And what I've noticed is sometimes um, what ends up happening is the default blame game is played where, you know, it's just a bunch of guys. They're not going to listen to me. Oh, it's male dominated. Or, um, you know, men men uh, just don't listen. And, and, and when I listen, I find it curious because they're sharing this with me. And I'm, I'm a guy. I'm a, I'm a man. And I have an ability to communicate. So there's a shared responsibility here where, yes, um, men definitely need to explore ways of listening differently and expanding that capability to hear their counterparts differently, uh, their female counterparts differently. And I think also there's a responsibility uh, on the women executive executive's role to be able to develop a communication skill to speak the language of business because what what the, the existing executives may have been able to do is develop that ability to communicate in the language of business. And so I think there's a distinction there that we need to share um, and not default to a gender uh, role, but rather a communication skill that uh, needs to be developed. And I'll tie that to a practical application I was driving along the lakeshore uh, one time with a, a dear friend of mine. She ran the, the one of the biggest uh, mortgage brokerage companies on the on the uh, west coast, and I pointed up at a sign, a billboard that said "More CEOs," but the O in the CEO was in the shape of the female symbol with the, the, the cross hanging down of the O. And I said, Gina, what do you think of that? And she says, yeah, I think it's a really great idea. It's a really great idea to have women, more women CEOs. 
And I, I thought that was a great response, a great default response. But I ask myself, okay, if by that distinction, you know, shouldn't we then have more, um, more uh, folks of African heritage as CEOs, or shouldn't we have more uh, Chinese CEOs, or more Indian CEOs, or more uh, Persian CEOs, or, or whatever the culture may be, um, or more Filipino CEOs, like? So I feel like the conversation in the mainstream has been hijacked to, um, generally speaking, uh, a level of thinking that is just reactive rather than thoughtful. And I think there's a skill set gap that needs to be satisfied. For example, if we wanted more women in corporate boards, it's so simple on come Monday morning for us to make that decision, but we have to put the, the mentorship and that's a big, uh, a big gap. The mentorship plans in place to make sure that they can perform at the level that we need them to. And it has nothing to do with gender alone, because this this has happened with every other male executive. You can't just get an executive or a fellow or that graduated from uh, an Ivy League university with an MBA and put that person directly into the CEO role of a Fortune 500 company. That person needs training, they need mentorship, they need guidance, they need a network, and they need to develop those skills. So I think part of the, the opportunity for us as leaders, you and I, and the people we, we have some level of, of influence to, is to be able to, to have those mentorship and those coaching programs built so that when these young uh, female professionals are brought into cooperation, there's a clear path to mentorship. So perhaps what we contribute back to the organizations we have an influence on is that when folks uh, are hired and you see them and you tag them, I know this is what happens. They're tagged for a VP track or an executive track, just based on the profile of who they are and what they can accomplish. We can definitely easily say uh, 50% of those folks coming into these programs or this mentorship program should be women, 50 should be men. And that way we create some level of balance through their growth. So by the time they get to a C-suite level, to your point, they have this skill set already. They don't need, they're already speaking that language. Uh, so there's a lot of great things I think we can do. And I know I've shared just a lot in that contribution, but uh, thank you for allowing me to share that perspective. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to reflect on anything that I've shared. Um, yeah, no, you, you definitely bring a very valid point in terms of the fact that we there are some aspects that are not gender specific and then there are some general skills that everybody who aspire to to have those roles would need to to develop um the part i'd, I'd like to add to um is that even with uh, similar um help or guidance the environment is still not the same in the sense that to come back to the example, the probability that a male uh, executive would be interrupted by a female, for example, is a lot lower than the other way around. So it becomes all the more important for that female executive in this case to be, it requires her to be even sharper on those communication skills that are useful to everybody in order for her to be able to 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 carry her message forward right so so that's more on that side where the reality of the experience is not 
um, is not uh, to be um, um, missed or under-evaluated um, because um, at the end of the day, and that's probably the transition with where we're going with mental fitness, but at the end of the day, I don't want her, I don't want them, those mothers or women executives to use those uh, conditions or excuses, but more the opposite. It's more, okay, it is, that's, that's an opportunity. So how could that be an opportunity for you? Correct. And then when you start looking at it like that, then you can adapt your approach to this environment that you do not control. And to the point of the interruption, I think it's um, it's incumbent upon the the male advocates, the male counterparts, to recognize, hey, you know what? And by the way, guys, guys around the executive table interrupt each other all the time, mm-hmm. right? I've seen it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been interrupted. I've interrupted other folks, and it just there's no. Um, it's not interpreted as a slight because we're all there to do what's best for either the project or the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interpreted as, uh, at least when there's all males at the table, it's interpreted as uh, as doing the right thing, so to speak, because yep. you're acting in the best interest. So I think there's a, there's a bit of nuance there that we could explore uh, where it's not seen as disrespectful. But if you're on the team, that's just how we communicate. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe there's room for improving that style of communication. And believe me, I'm I'm the first person to sign up on improvement communication. Uh, but we also have to be aware that it's not uh, necessarily, it may not necessarily consistently or always be about a gender interruption, Absolutely. rather just a practice of, of how we usually do things here. Come play Absolutely. baseball, let's win the tournament. But, you know, you know, sometimes guys, just how they've been winning championships is they have certain behaviors that may not be, because <laughs> they, they chew tobacco and they spit it out. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> That's maybe that's something that's appealing to to new folks that are coming into the team, but it's worked for 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 decades, and you know it doesn't mean it's right. It just means that we have room to grow. I'd like to um, to shift our conversation, as you've alluded to, to mental fitness. I'd like to talk about the positive intelligence program that you deliver. And uh, before we we go into it, I know that uh, the faculty at Stanford and Yale Business Schools have uh, been trained by the person who uh, developed the positive intelligence program. And positive intelligence is a vibrant uh, global community of coaches, entrepreneurs, scientists, uh, designers, engineers, and passionate servant leaders, all powered by positivity. And everyone there uh, under the positive intelligence banner is working to make the world brighter for everyone. I'd like to learn from you uh, about this program of which you are a positive intelligence mental fitness coach, you're certified. I'd like to learn from you about um, what you're certified to deliver and how it's making a difference in the life of your clients with this positive intelligence program. Okay, okay. So um, at the root of it, really, it's what do people want? Everybody wants better relationships. Everybody wants to be more performant at whatever they chose to do. And ultimately, everybody wants to be happy. And mental fitness is just the way to get there. Because mental fitness in itself is is this ability that you have or you develop to handle whatever is happening in your life with a positive spin, positive approach 
rather than a negative one, which is more often than not the case. And so the, the way the program works is that there's, there's some very important pieces of information, knowledge that you need to acquire, right? So there's a, a part where you learn, you learn how your brain works, you work, you, you learn really how, why you react the way you react. So there's a part of, of, of learning information. That's 20%. And then 80% of it, of the program is experiential, meaning that you need to go and work it out. And when for physical fitness, it's very important if you want to have a, I mean, summer is around the corner, so you want to have a beach body or something, then you need to know what exercises you need to do in order to develop this group of muscles rather than others and, and what you need to eat and, and so on and so forth. But having all that information is great and you need it. But unless you actually go to the gym and do those exercises, or go to your kitchen and then uh, eat what's healthy for that, then you won't have the results and certainly not long-lasting results. So the program, um, I usually incorporate it in, in, in a, a, a more general coaching program, um, is that you have the technology. We use technology to support that experiential part and that um, um, providing you with the, the information that you need. And I start usually with a, the, some, some coaching to make sure that we understand where we're going and why we want to go there and what that looks like, what, what, what success looks like for you, what matters most to you in terms of, as I said, performance relationships or level of happiness or health. And, and then the, the program, eight weeks program, um, includes some some fairly intensive work um, in in changing the ways you usually think. So we are ultimately rewiring your brain, and it's physically what's happening. Because at the end of the of the program, if you, you, you check the, the state of your brain and you would see that some areas would have developed more gray matter than others just because we are shifting the way we do things. And, and so, and then at the end, we look back to, to really confirm the progress that we've made. But mental fitness in that matter is the, the, that, that boot camp, if you will, is just the beginning of the, of the journey, the same way that uh, with physical fitness, you can have a great boot camp at two months and making a lot of F, make a lot of efforts and a lot of uh, practice. But if after that you stop, then your muscles would atrophy back, right? So, so that, that's the program that, um, um, that I um, work with, with my, the, the people that I coach in order to help them reach their goals using mental fitness to make it sustainable. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I've done the uh, the PICU program with you and uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that uh, I appreciate most about it, it's not just a fluff program. Uh, mm -hmm. You said technology, I actually, here's what I, what I the technology, I was, uh, I was impressed that you had an app that mm -hmm. came with the, with the program, but the app allowed me to track my progress. I'm a, I'm a results guy. I, I need to see that what I'm doing actually works. And me seeing instantaneous results uh, and actually doing the quote unquote mental fitness gym on the app and seeing the impact of how it's shifting my neuroplasticity um, was, a, was a remarkable thing to, to 
create the changes that I, I never knew that I, I needed those changes, but uh, the program is supported by uh, not only just talk, but science. I mean, neuroscience, cognitive behavioral psychology, positive psychology, performance science, all impact mm -hmm. positive intelligence. And and that's actually the, sh the key to shifting the, the balance of power in one's mind. Uh, I mean, I don't have to go into the conversation about our brain being made up of neutrons. You already know how neuroplasticity uh, works and shaping behavior, uh, which is important. Um, but there are some terms that I learned here about the, the uh, saboteur inceptor muscle, like those <laughs> kinds of like, what is a saboteur and what is my judge? What is my sage muscle? I never knew I had a sage muscle and how I can actually use my sage muscle to handle challenges with a clear and calm mind and positive emotion. How do you develop that? Um, you know, in a high stress environment that comes in very handy to me when I'm, you know, in meetings where it's, it's intense and you need to remain very, very, um, aware of who you are and responding when perhaps things are intense in negotiations. Um, I learned about my, the accomplice saboteurs, which is another term that I learned through your program. You know, the hyperachiever came pretty close to my, one of my top uh, saboteur accomplices. Um, and I learned, I, I knew that about myself, but being able to articulate it and seeing how it showed up in my life was the real revelation to me. Um, and I think that part of the program was really powerful to me. And I see why companies all over the world are using it. And when I say companies all over the world, I'm not just talking about uh, small businesses. We have some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies on the planet, uh, P&G, Nestle, Google, Microsoft, uh, DBS, using this program that you are equipped and certified to deliver. So I found that fascinating and that's why we offer it to our uh, Pangea clients and why I've done it myself. Um, I wanted to shift in and ask you, what have you learned about yourself from positive intelligence and the program? Yeah, so as I said, the, the, the heart and the strength of the program lies into the experiential part of it, right? And it's only by doing it and by continuing to do it that, that you've been able to, to make some, some great changes and I've been able to make a lot of changes. And the, the word that would come to mind if I was to summarize it, that would be balance. Because as you you alluded to that, there are some saboteurs, basically some, some voices that we hear in our head all the time <clears throat> that are bringing the negative part of it and that are bring, leading the, the negative emotions. And, and, uh, and you mentioned the judge, the judge that makes us think that everything is bad or, or I am bad or you are bad, <clears throat> excuse me. And so the being able to, to see that those saboteurs, they, they are strengths actually. It starts with the strength. It's just that it goes too far. In my case, um, one of my top saboteurs is to be a stickler. So being a stickler or being, not necessarily a stickler, but being uh, very detail-oriented, and focused, um, that's what helped me get where I'm at today. So there are good strengths in that. I, I want to be able to continue to use that. The problem becomes when I push that too far and the use of that those particular traits, 
And when they start impacting my relationships, for example, because I'm so focused on making everything perfect, that you come into my world, you become a threat. And therefore, obviously, if I treat you like a, a threat, then that won't improve our relationship. <laughs> or when in my performance, when I'm so detail-oriented and I want everything to be perfect so much that I invest so much energy into making sure that everything is perfect, even the, the smallest things that don't really have much value, but all this energy that I wasted making that part perfect really distracted me from focusing on what really mattered. And instead of focusing on the 20% that really need to be perfect, I've been wasting my time on the 80% that would be good enough the way it is. And therefore it impacts my performance. And ultimately it also impacts my happiness because if I want and I need everything, everything to be perfect because it's never all perfect, then I can't be happy. And it's an endless loop trying to make everything perfect to be happy, but that will never happen. So as you could see, the key here is to be able to find the balance and to be able to recognize that voice and of the sticker and being able to say, hey, okay, that, that's good, but that's where I want to focus my energy and the rest is good enough. And I need to be able to find the balance and not get rid of that strength altogether just because if I abuse it, then it becomes uh, a detriment to, to my happiness and my, my performance and uh, improving my relationships with those around me. So that's, that's, my, that's my biggest takeaway. And that's what I strive to have in for all the different, all the other saboteurs as well, to find that balance between using the strength of the saboteur, but not the negative side of it, which is over abusing that. You know, thank you for sharing that. I mean, the statistics from uh, the program, and I care about data, I care about results. Like I mentioned, I care about seeing the evidence. 98% uh, of our program uh, participants, based on the data that's shared here, uh, experience significant growth in different areas. And I'll tell you where I've experienced personal growth from doing the program. Uh, Self-awareness, my self-awareness uh, increased significantly. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, my emotional self-awareness improved significantly. Um, my my self-management uh, improved, my social awareness, my relationship management uh, ability and skills improved. Uh, it helped a lot for me with conflict management. And that's one of the reasons you and I have talked about making sure that uh, our leaders at Pangea are all participating or have participated uh, in the uh, positive intelligence program because I think what it does for us in a meaningful way is help us to have healthy conflict, which conflict, once again, we've reframed in a number of conversations we've had with uh, different professionals. Conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing always, depending on how you, you choose to frame it. And, and with positive intelligence, we are just reframing what uh, in our in our world at Pangea what we call healthy conflict. I think it also helps this program with mutual accountability and earned trust uh, from what I've seen uh, in its uh, its ability to help us at the organization. Um, and so this the the tangible impact here for me is uh, is remarkable uh, for the the learnings. And like you said, if you want to remain fit and have the beach body and you know look, uh, look look and feel healthy you need to go to the gym you need mm -hmm. to go running you need to play sports you need to keep active 
And, and same thing with the language. If you, you know, I know with French, uh, but if I don't practice it, <laughs> if I don't, I'm not a run an environment where I can actually use that French muscle, uh, it's going to, to vanish, it's going to diminish. And the same thing with the, the positive intelligence or the mental fitness, you have to keep practicing it on a regular basis. And that's what the supporting technology allows you to do very conveniently. So I'm, I'm very, um, I was very pleased uh, with the results of this program so much so that I've, I've had a number of our Pangea clients as well as uh, executives in my world uh, know about it so that they can participate in it and some have uh, already that you were of course enrolled in, in the learning pods. I wanted to shift gears uh, as we look to wrap up our conversation and, um, and get a little bit more about you as an executive coach uh, just to learn from you. How do you know, Manuel? How do you know that you've succeeded in working with a, a client as their executive coach? Mm-hmm. How do I know I succeeded? When they said that they're happy with my work, <laughs> that's one way, but but more, more tangibly, coaching is about alignment as far as I'm concerned. And so succeeding would mean that I've been able to help uh, my clients align themselves. So what does that mean? Is that for me, you have four components really that you need to to manage and and place in alignment. The the first one is yourself. So you need need to, to, to know yourself, your values, what's important to you, your strengths, your weaknesses. Um, the, the second is your goal, what what you want to achieve, uh, who do you want to be, really. The third one would be the the environment that you're in, uh, with its assets and with the obstacles. And the, the last one would be your your path, your your trajectory. What how you're gonna go about achieving your goals, and at the end of it. It starts with clarity. If you're not clear on any of those four components of your journey, then it's like you in a room with no light and you need to go from one end of the room to the other end. And then you have no idea what's at your disposal. You don't, you don't know the obstacles that you have on the path. You, you, don't, you don't know much because you don't have clarity. You, you need light to be uh, to be turned on in this room just so that you could see, okay, where are you? And then w- what's the goal precisely? And what are the obstacles that you need to, to overcome? And, 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 and then you can take the right path and choose also the right tools um, or which strengths you need to develop in order to get to that goal. So my role there and the way I measure success is when we get to that clarity level. It's not when you get to your goal. Your goal could take 10 years. You want to be to become a VP or a CEO, and then this is a, a long-term thing, and you, don't, you won't need me all the way to the end. The coaching uh, is not something that you have to um, you have to keep forever. You have you have to you need to use coaching um, to reach a certain goal. And then after that, if that goal is achieved, then then you stop or you find another goal and then you continue. But, but at the end of the day, the success for me is measured when you can 
we can, and I can support you in getting the clarity that you need on those four aspects in order to have the to optimize your path there. And that's why in some in some situations, uh, sometimes I coach I coach uh, some some executives on behalf of their company, and I make sure that I am clear with with both parties um, as we start. Maybe the end result would be that, you know what, I'm not aligned with this company. Therefore, I need to find another environment where I'm aligned. And and so it needs to be very clear. I'm coaching the person, I'm not coaching for the company. And, and in this case, my goal and success is measured in providing that clarity that you need on that path. Manuel, thank you so very much for sharing time with us today on our Pangea Talks Lead with Purpose series. I'd love to have you back uh, on another episode where we talk about uh, more about the, the mental fitness and positive intelligence program that you're leading. Uh, I want to learn from you there how we self-sabotage. I want to you know, meet the judge uh, the judge, the master saboteur. I want folks to learn yes. about that. It's such an important um, way to, to to address the challenges that we, or gaps really, that we're not addressing and that we could. Uh, and even uh, ask questions like, uh, aren't these things that we talked about, the saboteur and the judge, aren't, aren't they good for me? Don't they help us? Because to me, some of those areas of my uh, life have uh, shaped conversation and opportunities for me to be successful in life and in the conversation that we have next i think i'd like to discover uh, the saboteurs and even figure out how to conquer them as well so let's um let's aim to have another yes. conversation about this if that timing works for you it was a real pleasure uh, sharing time with you today and uh, we're so glad that you um you were able to share your perspective and wisdom with us on this call on pangea talks you know, the pleasure was uh, was really shared, and I, I thank you uh, for being such a fantastic host and guiding this conversation. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to to our next episode. Thanks so very much, Manuel. We'll have you back soon. Have a fabulous thank day. You. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye.